0: section eighteen of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book two chapter sixteen the pilot published a series of sensational articles and editorials about the galligan matter a picture of galligan an account of the destitute state of his wife and family the time had not yet arrived when such newspapers dared to attack the probity of our courts but a system of law that permitted such palpable injustice because of technicalities was bitterly denounced what chance had a poor man against such a moloch as the railroad even with a lawyer of such ability as had been exhibited by herman krebs Krebs was praised, and the attention of Mr. Lawler's readers was called to the fact that Krebs was the man who, some years before, had opposed single-handed in the legislature the notorious Bill Number 709. It was well known in certain circles, the editorial went on to say, that this legislation had been drawn by theodore watling in the interests of the boyne ironworks etc etc hugh perrott had learned at the feet of an able master this first sight of my name thus opprobriously flung to the multitude gave me an unpleasant shock i had seen mr scherer attacked mr gorse attacked and mr watling i had all along realised vaguely that my turn would come and i thought myself to have acquired a compensating philosophy i threw the sheet into the waste basket presently picked it out again and reread the sentence containing my name well there were certain penalties that every career must pay i had become at last a marked man and i recognized the fact that this assault would be the forerunner of many i tried to derive some comfort and amusement from the thought of certain operations of mine that mr lawler had not discovered that would have been matters of peculiar interest to his innocent public certain extra-legal operations at the time when the bovine corporation was being formed for instance and how they would have licked their chops had they learned of that manoeuvre by which i had managed to have one of mr sharer's subsidiary companies in another state with property and assets amounting to more than twenty millions reorganised under the laws of new jersey and the pending case thus transferred to the federal court where we won hands down this galligan affair was nothing to that Nevertheless, it was annoying. As I sat in the streetcar on my way homeward, a man beside me was reading the pilot. I had a queer sensation as he turned the page and scanned the editorial, and I could not help wondering what he and the thousands like him thought of me, what he would say if I introduced myself and asked his opinion. Perhaps he did not think at all undoubtedly he and the public at large were used to mr lawler's daily display of injustices nevertheless like slow acid they must be eating into the public consciousness it was an outrage this freedom of the press with renewed exasperation i thought of krebs of his disturbing and almost uncanny faculty of following me up why couldn't he have remained in elkington why did he have to follow me here to make capital out of a case that might never have been heard of except for him i was still in this disagreeable frame of mind when i turned the corner by my house and caught sight of maude in the front yard bending bareheaded over a bed of late flowers which the frost had spared the evening was sharp the dusk already gathering you'll catch cold i called to her she looked up at the sound of my voice they'll soon be gone she sighed referring to the flowers i hate winter she put her hand through my arm and we went into the house the curtains were drawn a fire was crackling on the hearth the lamps were lighted and as i dropped into a chair this living room of ours seemed to take on the air of a refuge from the vague threatening sinister things of the world without i felt i had never valued it before Maud took up her sewing and sat down beside the table hugh she said suddenly i read something in the newspaper my exasperation flared up again where did you get that disreputable sheet i demanded at the dressmaker's she answered i-i just happened to see the name parrot it's just politics i declared stirring up discontent by misrepresentation jealousy she leaned forward in her chair gazing into the flames then it isn't true that this poor man galligan isn't that his name was cheated out of the damages he ought to have to keep himself and his family alive you must have been talking to perry or susan i said they seem to be convinced that i am an oppressor of the poor hugh the tone in which she spoke my name smote me how can you say that how can you doubt their loyalty and mine do you think they would undermine you and to me behind your back i didn't mean that of course Maud. i was annoyed about something else and tom and perry have an air of deprecating most of the enterprises in which i am professionally engaged it's very well for them to talk all perry has to do is sit back and take in receipts from the boyne street car line and tom is content if he gets a few commissions every week they're like militiamen criticizing soldiers under fire i know they're good friends of mine but sometimes i lose patience with them i got up and walked to the window and came back again and stood before her i'm sorry for this man galligan I went on i can't tell you how sorry but few people who are not on the inside so to speak grasp the fact that big corporations like the railroad are looked upon as fair game for every kind of parasite not a day passes in which attempts are not made to bleed them some of these cases are pathetic it had cost the railroad many times fifteen thousand dollars to fight galligan's case but if they had paid it they would have laid themselves open to thousands of similar demands dividends would dwindle the stockholders have a right to a fair return on their money galligan claims that there was a defective sill on the car which is said to have caused the wreck if damages are paid on that basis it means the daily inspection of every car which passes over their lines and more than that there are certain defects as in the present case which an inspection would not reveal when a man accepts employment on a railroad he assumes a certain amount of personal risk it's not precisely a chambermaid's job and the lawyer who defends such cases whatever his personal feelings may be cannot afford to be swayed by them he must take the larger view why didn't you tell me about it before she asked "'Well, I didn't think it of enough importance. "'These things are all in the day's work. "'But Mr. Krebs, how strange that he should be there, "'connected with the case. "'I made an effort to control myself. "'Your old friend,' I said, "'I believe you have a sentiment about him.' "'She looked up at me. "'Scarcely that.' she replied gravely with the literalness that often characterized her but he isn't a person easily forgotten he may be queer one may not agree with his views but after the experience i had with him i've never been able to look at him in the way george does for instance or even as father does or even as i do i supplied well perhaps not even as you do she answered calmly i believe you once told me however that you thought him a fanatic but sincere he's certainly a fanatic i exclaimed but sincere hugh you still think him sincere you seem a good deal concerned about a man you've laid eyes on but once she considered this yes it is surprising she admitted but it's true i was sorry for him but i admired him i was not only impressed by his courage in taking charge of me but also by the trust and affection the work people showed he must be a good man however mistaken he may be in the methods he employs and life is cruel to those people life is life i observed neither you nor i nor krebs is able to change it "'Has he come here to practice?' she asked after a moment. "'Yes. Do you want me to invite him to dinner?' And seeing that she did not reply, I continued, "'In spite of my explanation, I suppose you think, "'because Krebs defended the man Galligan, "'that a monstrous injustice has been done.' "'That is unworthy of you,' she said, bending over her stitch." i began to pace the room again as was my habit when overwrought well i was going to tell you about this affair if you had not forestalled me by mentioning it yourself it isn't pleasant to be vilified by rascals who make capital out of vilification and a man has a right to expect some sympathy from his wife did i ever deny you that hugh she asked only you don't ever seem to need it or want it and there are things i pursued things in a man's province that a woman ought to accept from her husband things which in the very nature of the case she can know nothing about but a woman must think for herself she declared she shouldn't become a mere automaton and these questions involve so much people are discussing them the magazines and periodicals are beginning to take them up i stared at her somewhat appalled by this point of view there had indeed been signs of its development before now but i had not heeded them and for the first time i beheld maude in a new light oh it's not that i don't trust you she continued i'm open to conviction but i must be convinced your explanation of this galligan case seems a sensible one although it's depressing but life is hard and depressing sometimes i've come to realize that i want to think over what you've said i want to talk over it some more why don't you tell me more of what you're doing if you only would confide in me As you have now, I can't help seeing that we are growing farther and farther apart. That business, your career, is taking all of you and leaving me nothing. She faltered and went on again. It's difficult to tell you this. You never give me the chance. And it's not for my sake alone, but for yours too. You are growing more and more self-centered, surrounding yourself with a hard shell you don't realize it but tom notices it perry notices it it hurts them it's that they complain of you she cried appealingly sensing my resentment forestalling the words of defence ready on my lips i know that you are busy that many men depend on you it isn't that i'm not proud of you and your success but you don't understand what a woman craves she doesn't want only to be a good housekeeper a good mother she wants to share a little at any rate in the life of her husband in his troubles as well as in his successes she wants to be of some little use of some little help to him my feelings were reduced to a medley but you are a help to me a great help i protested she shook her head i wish i were she said it suddenly occurred to me that she might be i was softened and alarmed by the spectacle she had revealed of the widening breach between us i laid my hand on her shoulder well i'll try to do better maude she looked up at me questioningly yet gratefully through a mist of tears but her reply whatever it might have been was forestalled by the sound of shouts and laughter in the hallway she sprang up and ran to the door it's the children she exclaimed they've come home from susan's party it begins indeed to look as if i were writing this narrative upside down for i have said nothing about children perhaps one reason for this omission is that i did not really appreciate them that i found it impossible to take the same minute interest in them as tom for instance who was apparently not content alone with the six which he possessed but had adopted mine one of them little sarah said uncle tom before father i do not mean to say that i had not occasional moments of tenderness toward them but they were out of my thoughts much of the time i have often wondered since how they regarded me how in their little minds they defined the relationship generally when i arrived home in the evening i liked to sit down before my study fire and read the afternoon newspapers or a magazine but occasionally i went at once to the nursery for a few moments to survey with complacency the medley of toys on the floor and to kiss all three they received my caresses with a certain shyness the two younger ones at least as though they were at a loss to place me as a factor in the establishment they tumbled over each other to greet Maud and even tom if i were an enigma to them what must they have thought of him sometimes i would discover him on the nursery floor with one or two of his own children building towers and castles and railroad stations or forts to be attacked and demolished by regiments of led soldiers he was growing comfortable-looking if not exactly stout prematurely paternal oddly willing to renounce the fiercer joys of life the joys of acquisition of conquest of youth you'd better come home with me Chickabiddy he would say that father of yours doesn't appreciate you he's too busy getting rich chickabiddy was his name for little sarah half of the name stuck to her and when she was older we called her biddy she would gaze at him questioningly her eyes like blue flower cups a strange little mixture of solemnity and bubbling mirth of shyness and impulsiveness she had fat legs that creased above the tops of the absurd little boots that looked to be too tight sometimes she rolled and tumbled in an ecstasy of abandon and again she would sit motionless as though absorbed in dreams her hair was like corn silk in the sun twisting up into soft curls after her bath when she sat rosily presiding over her supper table as I look back over her early infancy, I realize that I loved her, although it is impossible for me to say how much of this love is retrospective. Why I was not mad about her every hour of the day is a puzzle to me now. Why indeed was I not mad about all three of them? There were moments when I held and kissed them, when something within me melted, moments when I was away from them and thought of them, but these moments did not last the something within me hardened again. I became indifferent. My family was wiped out of my consciousness, as though it had never existed. There was Matthew, for instance, the oldest. When he arrived, he was to Maude a never-ending miracle. She would have his crib brought into her room, and I would find her leaning over the bedside, gazing at him with a rapt expression beyond my comprehension. To me he was just a brick-red morsel of humanity all folds and wrinkles and not at all remarkable in any way Maud used to annoy me by getting out of bed in the middle of the night when he cried and at such times i was apt to wonder at the odd trick the life force had played me and ask myself why i got married at all it was a queer method of carrying on the race later on i began to take a cursory interest in him to watch for signs in him of certain characteristics of my own youth which in the philosophy of my manhood i had come to regard as defects and it disturbed me somewhat to see these signs appear i wished him to be what i had become by force of will a fighter but he was a sensitive child anxious for approval not robust though spiritual rather than delicate even in comparative infancy he cared more for books than toys and his greatest joy was in being read to in spite of these traits perhaps because of them there was a sympathy between us from the time that he could talk the child seemed to understand me occasionally i surprised him gazing at me with a certain wistful look that comes back to me as i write Morton. Tom used to call alexander the great because he was a fighter from the cradle beating his elder brother too considerate to strike back and likewise when opportunity offered his sister and appropriating their toys a self-sufficient doughty young man with a round head that withstands many blows taking by nature to competition and buccaneering in general i did not love him half so much as i did matthew if such intermittent emotions as mine may be called love it was a standing joke of mine which maude strongly resented that morton resembled cousin george of elkington Imbued with the highest ambition of my time, I had set my bark on a great circle, and almost before I realized it, the bark was burdened with a wife and family, and the steering had insensibly become more difficult. For Maude cared nothing about the destination, and when I took any hand off the wheel, our ship showed a tendency to make for a quiet harbor. Thus, the social initiative which i believe should have been the woman's was thrust back on me it was almost incredible yet indisputable in a day when most american women were credited with a craving for social ambition that i of all men should have married a wife in whom the craving was wholly absent she might have had what other women would have given their souls for there were many reasons why i wished her to take what i deemed her proper place in the community as my wife not that i cared for what is called society in the narrow sense with me it was a logical part of a broader scheme of life an auxiliary rather than an essential but a needful auxiliary a means of dignifying and adorning the position i was taking not only that but i felt the need of intercourse of intercourse of a lighter and more convivial nature with men and women who saw life as i saw it in the evenings when we did not go out into that world our city afforded ennui took possession of me i had never learned to care for books i had no resources outside of my profession and when i was not working on some legal problem i dawdled over the newspapers and went to bed i don't mean to imply that our existence outside of our continued intimacy with the peters and the blackwoods was socially isolated we gave little dinners that maude carried out with skill and taste but it was i who suggested them we went out to other dinners sometimes to nancy's though we saw less and less of her sometimes to other houses But Maud had given evidence of domestic tastes, and a disinclination for gaiety, that those who entertained more were not slow to sense. I should have liked to take a larger house, but I felt the futility of suggesting it. The children were still small, and she was occupied with them. Meanwhile, I beheld, and at times with considerable irritation, the social world changing, Growing larger and more significant, a more important function of that higher phase of American existence, the new century seemed definitely to have initiated. A segregative process was away to which Maud was wholly indifferent. Our city was throwing off its social conservatism. Wealth, which implied ability and superiority, was playing a greater part entertainments were more luxurious lines more strictly drawn we had an elaborate country club for those who could afford expensive amusements much of this transformation had been due to the initiative and leadership of nancy durrett great and sudden wealth however if combined with obscure antecedents and questionable qualifications was still looked upon askance in spite of the fact that adolf scherer had put us on the map the family of the great ironmaster still remained outside of the social pale he himself might have entered had it not been for his wife who was supposed to be queer who remained at home in her house opposite gallatin park and made little german cakes a huge house which an unknown architect had taken unusual pains to make pretentious and hideous for it was rhenish moorish and victorian by turns its geometric grounds matched those of the park itself a monument to bad taste in landscape the neighbourhood was highly respectable and inhabited by families of german extraction there were two flaxen-haired daughters who had just graduated from an expensive boarding-school in new york where they had received the polish needful for future careers but the careers were not forthcoming i was thrown constantly with adolf scherer i had earned his gratitude i had become necessary to him But after the great coup whereby he had fulfilled Mr. Watling's prophecy and become the chief factor in our business world, he began to show signs of discontent, of an irritability that seemed foreign to his character, and that puzzled me. One day, however, I stumbled upon the cause of this fermentation to wonder that I had not discovered it before. In many ways, Adolf Scherer was a child. We were sitting in the Boyne Club. "'Money, yes!' he exclaimed, apropos of some demand made upon him by a charitable society. "'They come to me for my money. There is always Sharer, they say. He will make up the deficit in the hospitals. But what is it they do for me? Nothing. Do they invite me to their houses, to their parties?' This was what he wanted then, social recognition." i said nothing but i saw my opportunity i had the clue now to a certain attitude he had adopted of late toward me an attitude of reproach as though in return for his many favors to me there was something i had left undone and when i went home i asked maude to call on mrs sherrer on mrs sherrer she repeated yes i want you to invite them to dinner the proposal seemed to take away her breath i owe her husband a great deal and i think he feels hurt that the wives of the men he knows downtown haven't taken up his family i felt that it would not be wise with maude to announce my rather amazing discovery of the ironmaster's social ambitions but hugh they must be very happy they have their friends and after all this time wouldn't it seem like an intrusion i don't think so i said i'm sure it would please him and them you know how kind he's been to us how he sent us east in his private car last year of course i'll go if you wish it if you're sure they feel that way she did make the call that very week and somewhat to my surprise reported that she liked mrs Sherrer and the daughters maude's likes and dislikes needless to say were not governed by matters of policy you were right hugh she informed me almost with enthusiasm they did seem lonely and they were so glad to see me it was rather pathetic mr Sherrer, it seems had talked to them a great deal about you they wanted to know why i hadn't come before that was rather embarrassing fortunately they didn't give me time to talk i never heard people talk as they do they all kissed me when i went away and came down the steps with me and mrs sherrer went into the conservatory and picked a huge bouquet there it is she said laughingly pointing to several vases i separated the colors as well as i could when i got home we had coffee and the most delicious german cakes in the turkish room or the moorish room whichever it is i'm sure i shan't be able to eat anything more for days when do you wish to have them for dinner well i said we ought to have time to get the right people to meet them we'll ask nancy and ham maude opened her eyes nancy do you think nancy would like them "'I'm going to give her a chance, anyway,' "'I replied. "'It was, in some ways, a memorable "'dinner. I don't know what I "'expected in Mrs. Scherer, "'from Maud's description, a benevolent "'and somewhat stupid, blue-eyed "'German woman, of peasant "'extraction. There could be no doubt "'about the peasant extraction, "'but when she hobbled into our little parlor with the aid of a stout, "'gold-headed cane, "'she dominated it. "'Her very lameness added a distinction that evinced itself in a dozen ways her nose was hooked her color high despite the years in steelville her peculiar costume heightened the effect of her personality her fire-lit black eyes bespoke a spirit accustomed to rule and instead of being an aspirant for social honors she seemed to confer them conversation ceased at her entrance i'm sorry we are late my dear she said as she greeted maude affectionately but we have far to come and this is your husband she exclaimed as i was introduced she scrutinized me i have heard something of you mr parrot you are smart shall i tell you the smartest thing you ever did she patted maude's shoulder when you married your wife that was it i have fallen in love with her if you do not know it i tell you next nancy was introduced so you are mrs hambleton durrett nancy acknowledged her identity with a smile but the next remark was a bombshell the leader of society alas exclaimed nancy i have been accused of many terrible things their glances met nancy's was amused baffling like a spark in amber each in its way was redoubtable a greater contrast between two women could scarcely have been imagined it was well said and not snobbishly that generations had been required to make nancy's figure she wore a dress of blue sheen the light playing on its ripples and as she stood apparently wholly at ease looking down at the wife of adolf scherer she reminded me of an expert swordsman who with remarkable skill was keeping a too pressing and determined aspirant at arm's length i was keenly aware that Maud did not possess this gift and i realized for the first time something of the similarity between nancy's career and my own she too in her feminine sphere exercised and subtly a power in which human passions were deeply involved if nancy durrett symbolized aristocracy established order and prestige what did mrs Sherra represent not democracy mob rule certainly the stocky german peasant woman with her tightly drawn hair and heavy jewels seemed grotesquely to embody something that ultimately would have its way a lusty and terrible force in the interests of which my own services were enlisted to which the old american element in business and industry the male counterpart of nancy willet had already succumbed and now it was about to storm the feminine fastnesses i beheld a woman who had come to this country with a shawl over her head transformed into a new species of duchess sure of herself scorning the delicate euphemisms in which fancy's kind were wont to refer to a social realm that was no less real because its boundaries had not definitely been defined she held her stick firmly and gave nancy an indomitable look i want you to meet my daughters gretchen anna come here and be introduced to mrs durrett it was not without curiosity i watched these of the second generation as they made their bows noted the differentiation in the type for which an american environment and a finishing school had been responsible gretchen and anna had learned in crises such as the present to restrain the superabundant vitality they had inherited If their cheekbones were a little too high, their delft blue eyes a little too small, their color was of the proverbial rose leaves and cream. Jean Hollister's difficulty was to know which to marry. They were nice girls, of that there could be no doubt. There was no false modesty in their attitude toward society, nor did they pretend, as so many silly people did, that they were not attempting to get anywhere in particular. it was less desirable to be in the centre than on the dubious outer walks they too were so glad to meet mrs durrett nancy's eyes twinkled as they passed on you see what i have let you in for i said my dear hugh she replied sooner or later we should have had to face them anyhow i have recognized that for some time with their money and to mr scherer's prestige and the will of that lady with the stick in a few years we should have had nothing to say why she's a female napoleon hilda's a man of the family after that nancy invariably referred to mrs scherer as hilda if mrs scherer was a surprise to us her husband was a still greater one and i had difficulty in recognizing the adolf scherer who came to our dinner-party as the personage of the business-world before whom lesser men were wont to cringe he seemed rather mysteriously to have shed that personality become an awkward ingratiating rather too exuberant ordinary man with a marked german accent from time to time I found myself speculating uneasily on this phenomenon as I glanced down the table at his great torso white-waistcoated for the occasion. He was plainly making up to Nancy and to Mrs. Ogilvy, who sat opposite him. On the whole, the atmosphere of our entertainment was rather electric. Hilda was chiefly responsible for this her frankness was of the breathtaking kind far from attempting to hide or ignore the struggle by which she and her husband had attained their present position she referred with the utmost naivety to incidents in her career while the whole table paused to listen before we had a carriage yes it was hard for me to get about i had to be helped by the conductors into the street cars broke my hip when we lived in steelville and the doctor was a numskull he should be put in prison is what i tell adolph i was standing on a clothes-horse when it fell i had much washing to do in those days and can nothing be done mrs sherrer said leonard dickinson sympathetically for an old woman i am fifty-five i have had many doctors i would put them all in prison how much was it you paid dr stickney in new york adolph five thousand dollars and he did nothing nothing i'd rather be poor again and work but it is well to make the best of it your grandfather was a fine man mr durrett she informed hambleton it is a pity for you i think that you do not have to work ham who sat on her other side was amused my grandfather did enough work for both of us he said if i had been your grandfather i would have started you in puddling she observed as she eyed with disapproval the filling of his third glass of champagne i think there is too much gay life too much games for rich young men nowadays you will forgive me for saying what i think to young men oh forgive you for not being my grandfather at any rate replied ham with unaccustomed wit she gazed at him with grim humour it is bad for you i am not she declared there was no gainsaying her what can be done with a lady who will not recognise that morality is not discussed and that personalities are tabooed save between intimates hilda was a personage as well as a tartar laws conventions usages to all these she would conform when it pleased her she would have made an admirable inquisitorial judge and quite as admirable a sick nurse a rare criminal lawyer likewise was wasted in her she was one of those individuals i perceived whose loyalties dominate them and who in behalf of these loyalties carry chips on their shoulders it is a long time that i have been wanting to meet you she informed me you are smart i smiled yet i was inclined to resent her use of the word though i was by no means sure of the shade of meaning she meant to put into it i had indeed an uneasy sense of the scantiness of my fund of humour to meet and turn such a situation for i was experiencing now with her the same queer feeling I had known in my youth in the presence of Cousin Robert Breck, the suspicion that this extraordinary person saw through me. It was as though she held up a mirror and compelled me to look at my soul features. I tried to assure myself that the mirror was distorted. I lost, nevertheless, the sureness of touch that comes from the conviction of being all of a piece she contrived to resolve me again into conflicting elements. I was, for the moment, no longer the self-confident and triumphant young attorney, accustomed to carry all before him, to command respect and admiration, but a complicated being whose unity had suddenly been split. I glanced around the table, at Ogilvy, at Dickinson, at Ralph Hambleton. These men were functioning truly. But was I... If I were not, might not this be the reason for the lack of synthesis, of which I was abruptly, though vaguely, aware between my professional life, my domestic relationships, and my relationships with friends? The loyalty of the woman beside me struck me forcibly as a supreme trait. Where she had given, she did not withdraw. She had conferred it instantly on Maud. Did I feel that loyalty towards a single human being— Towards ma and herself, my wife, or even towards Nancy, I pulled myself together and resolved to give her credit for using the word "smart" in its unobjectionable sense. After all, Dickens had so used it. A lawyer must needs know something of what he is about, Mrs. Sherer, if he is to be employed by such a man as your husband. I replied, her black eyes snapped with pleasure ah i suppose that is so she agreed i knew he was a great man when i married him and that was before mr nathaniel durrett found it out but surely you did not think in those days that he would be as big as he has become that he would not only be president of the boyne ironworks but of a boyne ironworks that has exceeded mr durrett's wildest dream she shook her head complacently do you know what i told him when he married me i said adolf it is a pity you are born in germany and when he asked me why i told him that some day he might have been president of the united states well that won't be a great deprivation to him i remarked mr scherer can do what he wants and the president cannot adolf always does as he wants she declared, gazing at him as he sat beside the brilliant wife of the grandson of the man whose red-shirted foreman he had been. He does what he wants and gets what he wants. He's getting what he wants now, she added, with such obvious meaning that I found no words to reply. She is pretty, that Mrs. Durrett, and clever. Is it not so?' i agreed a new and indescribable note had come into mrs scherer's voice and i realized that she too was aware of that flaw in the redoubtable mr scherer which none of his associates had guessed it would have been strange if she had not discovered it she is beautiful yes the lady continued critically but she's not to compare with your wife she is not the heart "'It is so with all your people of society. "'For them it is not what you are, "'but what you've done, and what you have.' "'The banality of this observation "'was mitigated by the feeling she threw into it. "'I think you misjudge Mrs. Durrett,' "'I said incautiously. "'She has never before had the opportunity "'of meeting Mr. Scherer, of appreciating him. "'Mrs. Durrett is no friend of yours.' she asked i was brought up with her ah she exclaimed and turned her penetrating glance upon me i was startled could it be that she had discerned and interpreted those renascent feelings even then stirring within me and of which i myself was as yet scarcely conscious at this moment fortunately for me the women rose the men remained to smoke and Scherer, as they discussed matters of finance, became himself again. I joined in the conversation, but I was thinking of those instants when in flashes of understanding my eyes had met Nancy's, instants in which I was lifted out of my humdrum, deadly, serious self, and was able to look down objectively upon the life I led, the life we all led, and Nancy herself, to see with her the comic irony of it all nancy had the power to give me this exquisite sense of detachment that must sustain her and was it not just this sustenance she could give that i needed for want of it i was hardening crystallizing growing blind the joy and variety of existence nancy could have saved me she brought it home to me that i needed salvation i was struck by another thought in spite of our separation in spite of her marriage and mine she was still nearer to me far nearer than any other being later i sought her out she looked up at me amusedly from the window seat in our living room where she had been talking to the Sherer girls well how did you get along with hilda she asked i thought i saw you struggling she's somewhat disconcerting i said I felt as if she were turning me inside out. Nancy laughed. Hilda's a discovery, a genius. I'm going to have them to dinner myself. And Adolf? I inquired. I believe she thought you were preparing to run away with him. You seemed to have him hypnotized. I'm afraid your great man won't be able to stand elevation she declared. He'll have vertigo. He's even got it now, at this little height, and when he builds his palace on Grant Avenue, and later moves to New York, I'm afraid he'll wobble even more. Is he thinking of doing all that? I asked. I merely predict New York. It's inevitable, she replied, grant avenue yes he wants me to help him choose a lot he gave me ten thousand dollars for our orphans home but on the whole i think i prefer hilda even if she doesn't approve of me nancy rose the sharers were going while mr sharer pressed my hand in a manner that convinced me of his gratitude hilda was bidding an affectionate good-night to maude a few moments later she bore her husband and daughters away, and we heard the tap tap of her cane on the walk outside. End of section eighteen